0: I wanna share a story with you. In the early morning hours after Thanksgiving on Friday, November 28th, 2008, Jim Ty Damore, he was known to his friends as Jimbo. He was a part-time seasonal worker at Walmart in Valley Stream, Long Island. About 60 some miles from here. You could get there in about an hour if you didn't have to go through Manhattan. Jim Ty, he left for work uh, after Thanksgiving dinner and when he arrived early because of the expected Good Friday crowds, He was given uh, by Walmart a strange assignment. He was asked by his employer to use his six-foot-five, 270-pound body as a barrier for a crowd that had begun to gather outside overnight, which was up to, at this point, over 2,000 people. At around 2 a.m., three hours before the store opened, actually, Nassau County Police were called to wrangle the increasingly disorderly crowd and push them away from the front doors and back behind the barriers that they had already broken through. They came, the police, and then about a half hour or so later, they left. In the 30-degree darkness, though, anxious customers in the crowd, they began to get frustrated, kind of feeling as if they had been hot glued to one another. And so the line began to heave and to sway, as one person described it, like a tugboat dragging its vessels through a heavy current. Then suddenly, a gray plastic shopping cart began to rise above the heads of everyone, and people passed it from hand to hand as if it was kind of body surfing at a a rock concert. Somebody yelled out, these are the tickets, and that's when the shoving started to happen. Somebody in the crowd then yelled, psych, like, and we psyched you out, and then people got angry. The line again disintegrated from what the police had done into chaotic disorder. Quote, it got kind of scary out of nowhere, a witness later recalled. The crowd in the back just pushed. Shortly before 5 a.m., an announcement came over the store intercom. Doors are about to open in the next five minutes. And so the crowd began to count down. Five, four, three, two, one. A worker inside slowly opened the door and everyone pushed from every direction. They knocked that first door right off of its hinges. The the worker tried to use it as a shield, but the glass shattered. Another glass door shattered under the pressure, and its frame landed right on top of Jim Tai Damore. Among the people also injured was a pregnant woman who attested that Jim Tai had tried to help her before before he died. His official cause of death was asphyxiation. In layman's terms, he was crushed to death underneath the stampede. The people rushed in to get their bargains, kind of like a herd of cattle. They saw Jim Ty lying there. Some stepped over him. The truth is, most stepped on him. And even knowing he was hurt, people went right by him and on with their shopping, fighting one another over flat-screen TVs in order to celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace, who left with one singular command, love one another. He took his last breath on a gray floor between a, a row of soda machines and a device that disperses change for cans and plastics. Those last breaths were actually captured on an audio enhanced cell phone video posted to YouTube. It, it shows a police officer crouching nearby the unconscious six foot five, 270 pound man. A paramedic was pumping his chest so forcefully as his limp legs and his feet were, were joggled. Shoppers were peering in from behind the glass, as others stayed a few feet away, hands in pockets. They need to shock him, a voice said. The paramedic stopped pumping. The man's shirt had been pulled back up to his neck, revealing his large belly. A woman in the crowd mutters, pregnant. Another cracks a joke. The women begin to laugh. When a store tries to close because of the death of the 30-year-old Jim Tide Damore, some shoppers actually refuse to leave. They'd been waiting hours to get those deals, they said. One dead person wasn't going to deter them. This is a true story. Those are all news accounts i pulled together over the week, and it happened just an hour or so drive from here. I try to remind myself of this story most Black Fridays, and I've brought it up here before, too. Here's why. Because that Christmas, like this Christmas, the people that rushed by and crushed Jim tire are really no different than me. In fact, I mean, I just honestly, it easily could have been me. It easily could have. And maybe some of you. I have waited in those lines on Good Friday morning. This season, the Christmas season, it always has an ability like no other to really do two things. The first is it gets us to look down, to be, to be hyper-focused on self, what i want what i need what i have to get done and therefore not really look around at all over who we might be stepping over or on and the second is is really to rush around trying to get it all done trying to get it all in right like trying to make it the hallmark christmas rather than to slow down at all i'm very guilty of this and while This might seem to all of us, we hear this and go, well, this is a new problem. I would argue there's really nothing new under the sun. People have always been people. And that's why the church's response to this tendency has been a season on the church calendar known as Advent. It began around the year 480 when a bishop, Perpetuus, directed that starting with uh, November 11th until Christmas, one should fast three times a week. Then in the year 567, the Council of Tours codified this season when it ordered monks to fast every day in the month of December until Christmas. Now, if you're a church person, you might know that today the church calendar marks Advent beginning on the fourth Sunday before Christmas. That would be today. Advent, both then and now, is supposed to be a reflective season of preparation and and expectation, celebrating the birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago, and preparation in one's heart and life and expectation for his promised return. Now, if none of this church history or church calendar sounds even vaguely familiar to you, then I'm with you, or you're with me. I didn't grow up in the church. I met a friend this week, and he said, oh, what's your Advent series? And at first I'm like, what? Oh, that's right. I didn't grow up knowing any of these traditions. But my guess is that you'll still be with me here. You don't have to be a church person to know, and maybe like never before, that we sure could use a reflective season to cause us to to maybe pick our heads up and look around and not down, and and maybe even in, in the month of December to figure out a way to slow down a little bit from all the rushing around. Now, if you are a church person, you might know it's customary dur- during these, these Sundays of Advent for churches to focus on prophets or, or John the Baptist or the stories surrounding Jesus' birth. Those are all good things. This, this Christmas, I, I want to take a little bit of a different approach. I'm going to take you with me because I, I'm doing it too. I want to I explore this, these four Sundays of Advent I want to explore this Christmas by focusing on Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her perspective on her son and what she was a part of. No one was closer to Jesus than Mary. No human being shaped Jesus' life more than she did. No one knew him better. No one loved him more. And no other human being paid a greater price than she did for his birth and his life and his death. Yet... The story about Mary, especially in Protestant churches, is rarely told. This Mary, mother of Jesus, that the Bible records, she's been oftentimes hijacked by theological controversies, whereby she gets reduced to some kind of a giant sticking point between Catholics and Protestants. Maybe you know the stories here. The Catholic Church proclaiming and celebrating her divinity, oftentimes at the expense of her humanity, and the Protestant Church refusing to celebrate and almost barely acknowledge her highly favored status by God in our rush to proclaim just her ordinariness. One author put it this way, For, for years the view of Mary in the church has been made unreal. Mary has become for many little more than a compliant, quote, resting womb for God. And she's become a stereotype of passivity in the face of challenge, of of self-sacrifice at the expense of one's soul care, and of quietude to the point of hiding in the shadows of others. What I'm going to uh, show you, hopefully, over the coming weeks, is this Mary of the Bible was anything but that. The writer goes on. He says, "...the developments about Mary in the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox tradition have generated amongst Protestants reaction formation." Many of us Protestants have reacted against Mary so much, we've been formed now in such a way that Mary's been pushed entirely off the stage. Most of us, and if you grew up in the Protestant church, I, I think you'll recognize this is true. Most of us know far more about what we don't believe about Mary, that she wasn't immaculately conceived, that she had other children with Joseph and wasn't perpetually virgin. We know all of those things we don't believe about Mary much more than what it is we do believe about Mary. And I found this conclusion super interesting as I read it this week. The Cold War between Protestants and Roman Catholics over Mary might be drawing to an end. There are many reasons for this some political, some social, some theological, and some global. But evangelical Presbyterian Mark Roberts of Irvine, California, he thinks he knows at least one reason the war might be over. And he says it's the song, Mary Did You Know. Most of you know it. it was written decades ago now by Mar- uh, Mary Lowry it's been recorded by more than 30 different christian artists and the song well the song has done a lot to bring all of us back to the real human being of Mary the mother of Jesus And finally, I I just want to share this from my perspective and why I chose this topic for for this year. When it came to the events of both that first Christmas and to the life of Jesus, the first century physician-turned-first-rate historian, Luke, who set out to write this orderly account of Jesus' life, he repeatedly used an expression regarding Mary. He would write regarding those events of the first Christmas that Mary both pondered and treasured these things in her heart. She pondered them. She reflected on them. She treasured them, stored them up in her heart. And I I can't help but wonder if, if it was the treasuring and the pondering of these things, not just in her head, it wasn't just head knowledge, but in her heart that eventually brought Mary to a place of believing that her son was indeed just who he proclaimed himself to be, the way and the truth and the life, the incarnate God of all creation. As we'll see, she didn't always believe that, you know, to ponder and to treasure in your heart, you have to slow down. You've got to slow down. And you've got to look around. I can't help but wonder if, if in this season of reflection and preparation, if we would actually take it seriously, if we too would treasure and ponder along with Mary, if, like Mary, if we could slow down and begin to look around and ponder and wonder and treasure these things, if we might come up with the same conclusion about her son too. So, I invite you to wander with me over the next few weeks. But we're going to do something this Christmas a little bit different. We're going to wander, at least I will and drag you with me, we are going to wander in reverse. We're going to start with the end of Mary's life and we're going to work our way backwards so we arrive together at the cradle of Jesus on Christmas Eve. Those of you that have tickets. We'll be online also. And so let's begin with the end which it turns out there are lots of claims about the end of mary's life but there is really very little definitive knowledge truth is even in death mary remains controversial here's why there's only one verse in the bible that mentions mary by name after the resurrection of jesus here's the verse we're told by luke that following jesus ascension into heaven Regarding the disciples, he wrote, They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. That's it. And so with so little information about the rest of Mary's life found in Scripture, our only sources of any information about about what happened to Mary are the traditions that developed and grew up around Mary in the church during the centuries that followed her death. In Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox traditions, these stories are actually, and if you're from that background, you know this, these things, her death is actually annually commemorated. Most Protestants have no idea about any of these things. They, they commemorate Mary's death on uh, both, both traditions on August 15th each year. Roman Catholics celebrate this as the Feast of Assumption and Orthodox Christians as the Feast of Dormition. Now, the two different names, Assumption and Dormition, point to similar ideas held by the Catholic and Orthodox churches concerning what happened at Mary's death. Within the Catholic tradition, there is debate over if Mary actually died. The Pope actually made a, a recent ruling on this in the 1990s. This is still being debated. If, if she died, if she didn't die, but, but she was assumed into heaven. Thus, the celebration of the Feast of Assumption. In the Orthodox tradition, it was believed that Mary did die, right? The euphemism they used was fell asleep, and on the third day, this should sound familiar, after dying, her body was taken up to heaven. And so the Latin word for sleep was dormitio, thus the Feast of Dormition. Now, in in addition to if she died and how she died, church traditions actually split on when she died. Some accounts in the early church suggest Mary was 59 years old when she died. Interesting, right? You never think about Mary as anything but this young virgin in your mind. Some accounts in the early church say that she was 64. And again, because there is no canonized biblical record of this, right? Church tradition is is also split not just on the hows and the whens of Mary's death, but also the where's. So I'll let some, oh, there it goes back on, all right? The traditional thought has been that Mary lived out her days in Jerusalem where she was buried. She's buried, actually, you can go and see it, in a cave adjacent to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount, Mount of Olives where Jesus went that last, one of those last nights of his life to pray. There's a church over that cave now in which Mary was supposedly buried, if you believe she died. You can go and visit this place, Here's what the inside looks like. And I'm sure for those who have it, I would imagine it makes this often mythic figure a little bit more real, which I think is pretty cool. Yet, what would be Mary without controversy? There is actually another church tradition. You might remember this. When Jesus was on the cross, some of you might remember that Jesus looked down from the cross to his disciple John, right? And he said to John, son, behold your mother... And so the scriptures say from that point on, John, quote, took her into his home. And so there are other biblical scholars that say that John's home was eventually in the city of Ephesus, to which Paul would write the letter of Ephesians. And if you travel to Ephesus, near the shores of modern-day Turkey, you can visit what is known as the House of the Virgin, near which some believe Mary was buried. And inside the chapel is an altar table dedicated to the memory of Mary. I read one description of it. It said it's a peaceful place. Outside, there's a wall where you can put prayer concerns. Now, if you've never heard any of that before, that's because, in general, Protestants are more cautious than Catholics and Orthodox Christians about traditions such as these, which are not rooted in the Scripture. But whether you choose to believe these stories or not, they do focus our attention on one thing that Protestants, Catholics, and Orthodox Christians agree upon, the resurrection of the dead. How Mary's death happened is really not all that important. She died. What is, though, is how Mary would have faced her death, how she would have approached her death, because she undoubtedly believed that when she died, she would see her son once again. Guys, here's the deal. As joyful as Christmas is, and if you know me, I I have literally been called Mr. Christmas. Nobody is more into Christmas than I am right? But the truth is, for many people, Christmas is painful. For some of you, and I know some of you, this will be that Christmas, the first Christmas Eve or the first Christmas morning where you're going to gather around the tree and, well, somebody won't be there. And for others, this is very, very real. For others, this is perhaps the last Christmas. The tests are back, The diagnosis is bad. For your family, reality is taking hold. This happened to our family several Christmases ago. It was a tradition in in our Christmas Eves that my father-in-law would read the Christmas story from the book of Luke before we opened presents. For many years, it would be something that the kids would kind of want nothing to do with. And the parents would just roll our eyes and hope he would move along. We had that Christmas Eve once where the tests were in and my father in law's prognosis was bad. At this point in my life, most of my Christmas Eves kind of blend together. They become indistinguishable, really, one from another. That Christmas Eve, that Christmas Eve, I won't forget. It was in my living room. We handed in the Bible. It got quiet. And he read the story to my family, to my kids, to his grandchildren. He read the story of his birth, the birth of his Savior, for the last time. And we all knew it. It was the definition of bittersweet. And that's why at Christmas, we have to view the events of Christmas through the lens of Easter because there is no doubt that Mary, who was at both the cradle and the cross, did. It was this son she held in her arms that first Christmas who, and look, as we're going to see in this series, she didn't get this at the time, or at least fully. But it was this son, she treasured these words, she pondered his words. And my guess is that in her last day, she was comforted by, by, by his words. Because he was a boy, her boy, that would grow up quite famously to proclaim, well, in one case to another grieving woman, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Mary did. Pope John Paul II suggested that at Jesus' resurrection, before he appeared to Mary Magdalene or anyone else, he appeared first to his mother. The Pope suggested that this was why when Mary Magdalene first arrived at the tomb, Jesus wasn't there. Uh, my friends, I would say that that is purely speculation or supposition, but here, here is what is likely true. I mean, isn't it easy to believe that the resurrected Jesus would prioritize going to see his mom? I mean, wouldn't he? He saw what she went through at the foot of the cross. I would think that he would want to share with her. Mom, Look. The scripture from Acts 1 that I shared with you before, it seems to indicate that Mary was there at Jesus' ascension, so she definitely knew that for her son, death was not the final word. And I think this Christmas, as we kind of work backwards, right, towards the cradle of Christmas Eve, as we treasure and ponder this first Sunday in December, I think Mary would want you and I to live this Christmas with the truth of Easter in mind. These truths, right, these truths are not fully going to heal the wound. They're not going to compensate adequately for the pain. I mean, think of, what, think of what Mary saw happen to her firstborn story or her firstborn son. She would, ca- I mean, could you, this, this happened. She saw what they did to her son. She would carry that wound, not unlike her son who would carry that wound forever. But that hurt for Mary, that very real hurt, and I hope for you this Christmas, is coupled, overwhelmed by hope. This is the story of Christmas. The Apostle Paul would summarize it this way. He'd say, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words that last Christmas with my father-in-law for our family. That's how I look back at it now. Every Christmas Eve now, the tradition continues. We read the story from Luke. It's not the same. Now I read it. Can you imagine? It's very disappointing for everyone. (laughs) It'll never be as good. And that hurt would be quite crippling for my family if not for this hope. My father-in-law loved Jesus. He had his hope and his heart fully rested on Christ, and because of Christmas, we have, my family and I, we have this one hope. We will see him again. I picture him reading the Christmas story to us again in the kingdom to come, where I'm certain we'll still be celebrating, maybe even more so, the birth of Jesus. I think that's going to be reality. One author I read this week summed it up this way. He goes, I don't know what Jesus' last words were to Mary the last time he spoke to her, but I imagine he would have looked at her and said, Mom, I'm going to see you again someday. Which brings me to the second thing I've pondered and treasured and reflected on in my heart this week. If the church tradition is right, then Mary would have lived, give or take, some 15 years or so after Jesus ascended into heaven. You ever wonder what she did in those years, what became of her? I mean, was the veneration of Mary immediate? From the biblical canon, it doesn't appear so. I I, I haven't read of anybody finding her image in their toast. Did she live at her days in Jerusalem in the care of her other children? By the way, it's actually a a fascinating uh, stuff on this. Several scholars believe the reason Jesus entrusted Mary to John was that her other children, his brothers, had not become yet believers. They would... Which, again, could not be easy. As I've said to you before, what would it take for you to believe that your brother is the savior of the world? But then eventually they would, though. Because seeing your brother, who you assumed, the scriptures say, was crazy, and killed suddenly, resurrected, has a way of convincing even the most skeptical. His brother, some of you know James, likely the next in line after Jesus, his next oldest brother... James would go on to lead the church in Jerusalem and he would write a New Testament book of uh, that you know as the book of James where he would cite his name, but then he said this about himself. He said, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine calling your brother that? What would it take for you to call your sibling a disciple of the Lord? I can't even say my brother's name there. Right, what would it take? It might take a resurrection. Did Mary stay with James in Jerusalem? Did she, in fact, go with John to Ephesus? We don't know. But here is what I'm certain of. The resurrection of Jesus would have had the same impact on Mary, maybe even more powerfully so because she bore and raised Jesus as it did on James and all the other disciples, who were the guys that all fled and and were hiding, right? They were nowhere to be found at the the morning of, of the crucifixion. But after Jesus was resurrected, they took to the streets to proclaim him to the same people they were hiding from to proclaim him Lord. It seems that Mary was, was there at Jesus' Ascension when she, along with the others, heard Jesus proclaimed this. Here's what Matthew said Jesus said, and Mary was likely standing right there. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Imagine her mother's heart, his mother's heart when she heard this. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Luke would go on, as he does, this first-rate historian. He would add some details to it. Here's what Luke recorded Jesus saying. He goes, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so here's what I I believe. I believe, based on what, what we're reading, that when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, as Jesus promised, I believe Mary was right there with them. For Mary, I didn't think about this while I was doing the work on it. For Mary, it would have been her second encounter with the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit which the angel had told her would come upon her to birth the Savior of the world was now coming upon her again and others to birth birth the church of her son Jesus. This God-empowered, God-fueled movement of love and care and concern for the lives and the hearts and the souls and the eternities of others. I like how Adam Hamilton in his book, A Not-So-Silent Night, puts it. Here's, Here's what he wrote. Where would Mary have been? I believe she saw Christ's commission as her continuing mission and she devoted the rest of her life to the mission that God had given her. Jesus told his disciples to be the light of the world. He told his followers to teach others what he had taught them. He told them to be his witnesses. Don't you imagine that's what Mary did during the last days of her life? I believe that she would have continued to do the things Jesus had done. To look for people who were lost sheep and bring them back to God. To find those who were hungry and thirsty and sick and naked and in prison and care for them. To let her light shine before others that they might see her good works and give glory to her Father in heaven. To love her neighbor and her enemy and to do the things Jesus had called all the disciples to do. Wouldn't Mary have devoted the next 15 years of her life to doing those things? Mary, as we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, Mary was... A very real human being. She doubted God. I'll show you that. She was confused by his plan. She was uncertain as to who her, her son really was. She carried with her wounds from her past, disappointments with God. My guess is that her life was not all that easy. Because of Christmas, because of the birth of her son and the birth of his church, she was there for both. It was full of purpose, though trumping pain. It was full of hope, healing, hurt. But this happened not because it was all so clear and easy that first Christmas. It happened. It only happened because she stopped and treasured all of the events up in her heart. She pondered them over decades. She wondered at what God was doing. Long before Advent was a season on the church calendar, it was at home in Mary's heart. And so my challenge for you and I this first Sunday of Advent, is, is it really possible for you to actually slow down and to look around? That Black Friday morning in 2008, thousands of people broke down those doors, most of which, I looked up the demographics on this, most of which from Long Island are from a Christian faith background. Thousands of them rushed by do you know how many stopped? Three. Three. It's really hard to slow down. It's really hard to look around. And the truth is that this Christmas, right, lives and hopes and eternities still hang in the balance of your decision, of my decision, if we're going to do that. Because our mission, like Mary's on Christmas, is not really to get gifts for people to open, but actually to be gifts to bring hope and purpose, to be what Mary's son called us to be, light and salt salt in a dark world. People who do what what he's called us to do, empowered by him to, to be his witnesses so that others would see him in us, who offer hope and help, who pray and work so that our world looks a little bit more like the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. This is what Mary would have been doing. This is what you and I are called to do. What would it look like? What would it look like? I know, I, listen, I know. Joan and I were at the Short Hills Mall yesterday. If you ever want to see the complete opposite of this story, go to the Short Hills Mall at Christmas time. What would it look to slow down and look around instead of just rushing by and stepping over or stepping on? Do you have eyes that can see the people around you the way Jesus sees them? Maybe the way he's calling you to them. Is there somebody, is there anybody in your life or your home, within your relationships, your workplace, your neighbors, your school, where you might ask God, Is it them, Lord? Is it them? Are you calling me to them? Who do you want me to to be your witness to? I invite you to my own personal challenge this Christmas. Would you be willing to pray? And I've prayed this prayer and it always gets answered, uncomfortably so. Would you be willing to pray? Right? For the open door, the right words, the correct message. Would you pray to be a witness just simply to share with someone the hope that you have found in Jesus? This is what Mary spent her life doing. That's why Paul asked for prayer too. He said, Here's what I, I encourage you, join me in making this your prayer over the next couple of weeks. Here's what he wrote to the church in Colossae. He goes, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I'm in chains. He wrote this from prison. Paul wasn't looking down at the chains and complaining about his lot in life. He was looking even then around for others. He goes on. Um, Could you imagine if we had this heart for people? He goes, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He warns us. He goes, look, be wise in the way you, you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This Christmas, would you slow down? Would you just start to look around? Would you look around and not step over? Would you dare to pray for those same things that Paul prayed for? And I'm totally serious about this. Pray for this. I would love for you to email me because I guarantee if you start praying, Lord, show me who, show me who, please show me who, give me the words, tell me how to do it, you're gonna be shocked what's going to happen. Mary died. And the promise of the reunion with her precious son, here's the truth, became a very present reality for Mary. I thought about that reunion this week Can you imagine what it was like when Mary saw Jesus again? When Jesus hugged his mom again? Can you imagine what it was like the first time their eyes met? Jesus, her son, described that day in the heavens. He said, it's like a shepherd who left 99 sheep to go and get the one. And when he found him, he was so overjoyed, he called all of the other shepherds together and rejoiced. I'm sure his mother heard him say, I, I'm telling you, Mom, in the same way, there's going to be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. She heard him tell the story that, that one day, the kingdom of God, those reunions would be like a woman who had 10 coins and lost one. She turned the house upside down looking for it. She went crazy. She came up with a plan. She worked all night. and When she found it, she was so overjoyed. Again, she called all of her friends over and she celebrated like crazy. And then Jesus said, in the same way, Mom, I'm telling you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he told the story of a father who lost a son. And when he came home, when the son came home, when he found the father, when when the father found him, he threw his arms around him, and he threw the biggest party in town, the biggest party the town had seen, the rejoicing was over the top. Why? Because this is who the father is. The father wants his sons and daughters brought home. The father proclaimed, this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. Friends, these are are the stories. These are the purpose. This is the hope of Christmas. And you and I, as, as followers of Jesus, have a role to play in it. But it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen if we don't slow down and look around. The father is still longing for sons and daughters the lost ones to be found and brought home. The party awaits. The reunion is going to be sweet. Will you pray to be a part of it this Christmas? That part, the merry part? What does it look like? What, is that, what does that day look like? I think sometimes we get a little bit too religious. You know, we see these pictures of Jesus in the cl- clouds and stuff. I-, I think when we get too religious with these things, we kind of, they lose their power. And so this week as I began to think about, about Mary, I stopped and I paused and I really reflected on what it must have been like when she saw Jesus for the first time again. What it must have looked like for Jesus as he looked across the kingdom and he saw his mom. And it really, I could just feel the hair stand up on my neck. And I don't know if you saw it, my son Caleb sent it to me. The footage of some of the hostages that were returned in Israel this week. There, They, too, were re- reunited with their families, with their moms and their dads. And, and as I watched the footage and I was studying this stuff this week, I, I just thought about what it was going to be like, this party in heaven, the heart of God our Father, how he do- so desperately, he so desperately longs for the returns of sons and daughters. He so desperately wants them back and found, desperate enough to send his own son to come find them. And so I've recommitted myself to, in this season, do what Paul prayed for, to be watchful and thankful, to ask God for an open door, to make the most of every opportunity. And I pray, I hope you will too, that Jesus will help me to proclaim the message of Jesus clearly. I want to show you, because we need to take the religion out of this sometimes, I need to show you um, that video that I saw, because I think it gives you a sense for what we're called to be a part of this Christmas, and so we'll close with that. But as we watch it, in light of the reunions which await in the kingdom of God, I hope this Christmas you will slow down and you will look around and you will recommit yourself to the cause of Christ as seen in his mother Mary. (laughs) Pianoqui, Pianoqui, Pianoqui,